Dr. C here. Before we begin, I'd like to make sure that you're aware that this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp.com. BetterHelp is a leading provider of online therapy, and they provide video, phone, or live chat sessions with a licensed professional therapist. It's affordable, and you can connect with your therapist within 48 hours. Now, as a special offer to our surviving narcissism listeners, they'll offer a 10% discount for your first month of professional therapy. All you have to do is go to betterhelp.com, that's betterhelp.com slash surviving narcissism podcast. I know that many of you would find online therapy to be quite life-changing, and so go to betterhelp.com slash surviving narcissism podcast, and many thanks to the people at BetterHelp for sponsoring our podcast. Thanks for joining us for a brand new season of the Surviving Narcissism podcast with your host, Dr. Les Carter. I'm Michaela, the program director, and in today's episode, Dr. Carter will discuss a narcissist's aggressive and manipulative tactics, featuring special guest Jim Breon. Well, hi, Team Healthy. I'm so pleased to be here with you one more time, and As you know, sometimes I like to bring in guests for interviews, and today we're very pleased to have a therapist from the Huntington Beach area in California. Uh, We have Jim Breon. Jim, uh, I'm so pleased to have you here with us. I want to give you a proper introduction, but thank you for being with us here. Thanks, Les. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Now, you're a therapist there in Huntington Beach, and you work, uh, you, you mentioned to me that you work mostly with individuals, but you do some couples work uh, mm-hmm. with with respect to relationship issues, anxiety, depression, trauma, addictions. And, you know, as a, ther- a fellow therapist, like, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And then also you have a presence on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, jimbrion.com, uh, B-R-I-L-L-O-N, a good French name. And so you're you're well represented out there. And I've, I've seen uh, some of your material and respect what you're doing. So thank you so much for being a part of, uh, of our program here. Today, we're going to be talking with our audience about the topic, a narcissist's aggressive and manipulative tactics. Now, let me just pause right there, Jim. When you hear me say that is our title, just what, what just a stream of consciousness, what comes to mind when, when we think about narcissism uh, being prone towards aggression and manipulation at the same time? Sure. Well, I think, you know, as far as the aggressive stuff, you know, we, we, we look at things like narcissistic rage and, you know, the way that, you know, a, a narcissistic person can throw temper tantrums and be overtly aggressive but i think most of it is 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 passive aggressive in some way or another it's it's emotional manipulation and the problem is that people don't even realize that's what's happening to them you know uh we think we look at things like gaslighting and and projection and all of those different elements of it um and i i think one of the reasons that it's so uh difficult for people to cope with is because it's often invisible because outwardly people outside your you know your home know one person and you know a very different person you know yeah yeah and uh, we're I want to get into that uh, more deeply as we go along um let's see and when I when I look at uh, the whole topic of narcissism it, it, there are multiple ingredients that go into the making of that um, uh, pattern of life 
But if I had to pick one thing that would tip me off that says, okay, we're dealing with somebody with strong narcissistic tendencies, it is in fact their willingness to exploit and manipulate. And then when you um, take all of the other ingredients of narcissism, their need for control, their lack of empathy, their craving to be in the superior position, um, their insensitivities in general, their high defensiveness, what that tells me is these individuals are just sitting ducks for anger. And so when you have someone in your office that you're talking with and uh, you, you, you begin picking up on the fact that there's something amiss here, what things do you watch for that would tip you off that would say, I'm dealing with somebody that has some pretty strong narcissistic tendencies? What, what do you watch for? Well, I've seen that, you know, with, especially in couples, you know, when you start to see that one person is, is always, um, they're always the victim, you know, um, and in couples work, you know, where I talk about autonomous change, you know, each person has to agree to change whether the other person does or not. And I see a lot of that. Well, well, you know, they're not doing it, so I'm not going to do it. And then there's this underlying, just kind of seething anger. And then when they start then projecting that towards me, I'm like, Oh, that's, that's what that is. You know, mm -hmm. um, it, it is that it is that anger. And then they'll deny that anger, um, you know, kind of twist, things so that they 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 tell you, I, I don't like the way you just suggested that to me and I'm like all of a sudden I'm finding myself having to defend myself and I'm thinking okay that's that's what we're dealing with in fact I, I use almost the exact same terminology you just have that undertow that you call it that uh, that simmering anger that's just sitting in there mm -hmm. okay now a, a common belief that I have is that you can tell a whole lot about an individual's level of emotional healthiness or not mm -hmm. by watching how they manage conflict. Okay. Uh, it, it's in those moments of conflict that you really reveal the, the fullness of your uh, emotional well-being. So when a person is in conflict with a narcissist, uh, whether it's on the home front or extended family or at work, um, what might they be able to expect with respect to that narcissist expressions of anger? Because you, you, you've already uh, just mentioned that there can be that rage, there can be the passive aggressiveness, the gaslighting. Well, what what might we watch for uh, and, and prepare for knowing that if, an, if a narcissist is angered, this is what we're likely to see? What, what would you say? Well, I think if somebody's <clears throat> if, if somebody uh, going to, be outwardly aggressive they'll they'll do things like like rage at somebody or make threats to someone and that's a way of intimidating people because when somebody's yelling at you or towering over you you know you're you're most likely going to shrink you're going to be become smaller you're going to become defensive and and i think that's that's the the outward rage um sometimes they'll end up creating drama you know, just uh, creating some kind of drama to to get you on the defensive so that you're um, explaining yourself all the time, defending everything that you say and everything that you do. Um, guilt, shame, uh, name calling, uh, it's kind of those over the top reactions that make them feel powerful and then puts you on the defensive and, and you're they're basically dumping all of their feelings onto you. 
and you're kind of answering this question as you speak, but what, what do you suppose that narcissist is hoping to accomplish by taking that kind of overpowering and uh, forceful uh, approach toward another individual? What, what are they wanting to accomplish? Well, I think a lot of times when they when they get to that point, maybe their mask has been pulled just a little bit. You've kind of seen, you know, beneath the surface and they don't like that. So they're going to turn the tables and, you know, that there's all of that grandiosity and superiority um, and that makes them feel powerful. But, um, you know, we have to remember that that deep inside they're you know, they're angry, but anger is a secondary emotion. So there's these primary emotions beneath the anger that they're feeling, too. And that could be shame. It could be embarrassment. And you embarrass a narcissist. They're going to they're going to lash out. Well, and, and again, you're you're talking my language. Uh, uh, anger is, in fact, a primary emotion. Um, let, let's pick up on that shame element that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's suppose that uh, that you're in a conflict with a narcissist. Okay, you know it, it, that's not a shock. You know, we're not going to agree on everything, and so uh, you say something, and uh, that, and the narcissist says, "I don't like the way you're talking to me," and you're you're trying to explain yourself that shame factor that the narcissist is sitting on um there the narcissist is not going to say out loud hey you're making me feel shamed uh, instead they're going to just lash out at you but what is it about that shame that uh that is so informative with respect to the way that they manage their anger what's what's going on really at the at the core of it all yeah well I think shame is a it, it's a social emotion. When you when you feel shame, you feel like you don't even belong, or you've done something where you don't even fit in. But I think specifically with a narcissist, they're so um, they're so resistant to feeling that that you know one way I I think of shame is it's it's um one side of a coin of contempt. Shame is when you're in the one down position where you're contemptuous of yourself. And then a narcissist, when they start feeling that, they'll flip into the one-up position, which is grandiosity. And that's a whole lot more comfortable. Because yeah. you know, shame is like, um, you know, it, 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 they could be triggered by the fact that for, for a moment, you know, um, they've, they've been seen for who they are. Um, people have seen them as a, as a manipulator. Um, or just and, simply flawed or... Right. Yeah. Because, because even admitting that, you know, I'm a limited flawed human being like me and like you, like everybody, they, they can't do that. You know, if you and I had a conflict and let's, let's, let's just go ahead and assume we're two healthy people. Okay. Uh, if you and I had a conflict and if you said, Hey, Les, there's something that I'd like to talk with you about, I'm, I'm troubled by something. If I have a, a reasonable sense of well being, then I would be able to say, well, Jim, tell me about it. Mm -hmm. And then the same thing. And if I might say, well, there's something that I'd like to discuss that I, I need to get off my chest, you would say the same thing. And we would actually have a pretty constructive dialogue and uh, we would actually be able to move on our way in a, a healthy way and, and learning more about one another and, and being able to uh, to blend better because of our differences. Narcissists can't do that. And you you mentioned that uh, there's this uh, this contempt that they hold on to. Uh, uh, let, let me toss out a term to you and see what your reaction to this is. Uh, 
the way I, I'm kind of saying the same thing, but I, I see that they sit on this, um, this trait of self-loathing. I, I hate certain things about myself being known because I can't accept that within myself. And that's the self-loathing. Uh, do you see that as being very much at the base of the narcissist need to be manipulative and put the uh, emphasis on that other individual? Well, I think that makes a whole lot of sense, you know, because if I were to admit, <clears throat> you know, that then, then uh, I, I'm not this flawless person that I present myself to be, you know, um, and ultimately uh, one way to look at a narcissist or some other high conflict personality is that they're emotionally immature. Um, they they never really matured past that point of healthy narcissism to the point where they realize that oh other people have needs too. Well, how and about that? Sharing, you know, sharing is 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 good. Um, you know, and that and when you're that emotionally immature and you tend to externalize everything um, rather than looking internal. Um, you know, you have to project all that because it's it's too much to hold on to. But I, I, I think that term self-loathing, I think, is is really informative. Um, I think generally when when any of us get super angry about something, we might be seeing something in someone else that we see in ourselves, you know. Well, I, <laughs> let's just go ahead and take the word might out of it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now. When when the narcissist comes on super strong, and they they have that forcefulness that you talk about, what kind of response are they looking for that would actually play right into their game? Well, I think getting getting you triggered and getting you in a position where you're having to defend yourself or explain yourself, because often they'll 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 uh, pepper you with with questions. And before you even have a chance to answer, they're asking you another one. They're always keeping you on an uneven footing so that you're dysregulated. There's that emotional contagion that happens. So you pick up their emotions. Um, and, and if you're dysregulated, then they can go, see, Look at you. it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Look what I have oh. to deal with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look at what I'm up against here. Oh, and, and you're so on target with that. Um, yeah, and yet, uh, if if you were to uh, to say, wait a minute, I, I know you're frustrated, and you try to calm that narcissist down. Um, typically, they're not going to have anything to do with that because it's like you're 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 trying to get them out of their game, and they're just going to keep it going. Okay, you mentioned um, a couple of other terms. Uh, one was passive aggressive. What are some of the passive aggressive ways that narcissists can respond to conflict? So, I think the the classic passive aggression is the silent treatment. You know, stonewalling, um, avoiding people. You know, because that's that's a way of, and you don't have to be a narcissist to 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 do that. But it it's a way of punishing the other person. You know, I'm and it, it's communicating that whatever you've done is so bad that I'm I, I'm not even going to talk to you about it. Um, but you're then not even also, worth my time. Exactly. Yeah, you're not you're not worth it. But then that puts puts the other person into this constant ruminating. What did I do? Was it that what what you know? And you're constantly questioning, scanning. What did I say? What did I do? You end up apologizing for something, you know, it must have been something that I did. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, but you know, the passive aggression, um, with withdrawing, that's a that's a big one, withdrawing intimacy or withdrawing affection. Um, and then in in a lot of the the way that they communicate, you know, um they have every cognitive distortion in the book. Um, they personalize, they overgeneralize, they they label. Um and the, you know, when you think in terms of passive aggression, all of that, uh, uh, I think the whole narcissistic abuse cycle is is passive aggression. You know, the idealizing and then the devaluing, the discarding and the hoovering and, you know, yeah. rinse and repeat. Um, and that, that's, that's so much a part of it. And then another word that we use, and you didn't, you didn't use the word this time, but you've already mentioned it a little earlier, uh, the word gaslighting. Uh, they're wanting to keep you in a state of confusion, right. and and if uh, if you try to explain yourself, uh, one of the things that they can just simply do is just kind of play this innocent victim. You know, how am I supposed to talk with somebody who clearly uh, isn't interested in knowing me? Uh, you're over there being so defensive, and they accuse you mm -hmm. of the very thing, like you say that they yeah. do. And uh, somehow uh, it's never the narcissist's fault. Uh, it, and there's there's the not just the blame shifting, uh, but what do we call it? Um, where you uh, you put the blame on the other person that you created in the first place? Yeah, that's pro like projection. You yeah, keep exactly. Them doing the doing the things that they're doing, and that's a that's a great way to, um, you know, if you're if you're cheating, you accuse them of cheating. So then they're not looking at you, you know, um, if you, you know, you cheated at, at, at a, at a game or in a relationship or in politics, you accuse the other person of doing that. So then you, you shift the argument away from yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, On our website, survivingnarcissism.tv, we offer various courses. One of them is entitled, This is Me, Establishing Boundaries Despite the Controllers in Your Life. Inside each of my courses, I break it down into modules, and then each module consists of various lessons that have a video, written materials, and questions for personal reflection. And inside This is Me, we talk about uh, defining who you want to be and then staying inside that definition. We discuss assertiveness skills, how to stay strong without being defensive. If you would be interested in, in enrolling in this course or any of the others that we have, go to our website, click the courses link, and you'll receive all the information for how you can enroll. I hope you would find them to be quite helpful. And now back to Surviving Narcissism with Dr. Carter. Uh, yeah, let, let's, let's contrast that with a healthy form of anger. Um, I don't know that you know with, about my history, but I've, I've done a lot of anger management workshops and things like that. Mm -hmm. And um, what I would explain uh, in those workshops is anger in and of itself is not an inappropriate emotion. Mm -hmm. And so when we ask, well, if that's the case, then what is healthy anger management? How would you describe that as a contrast to what we've been talking about? Yeah, I, I I agree. I think anger um, in the in the right intensity for the appropriate amount of time directed in the right way can actually be very productive. You know, can help people to get stuff done. Uh, you get ticked off enough, you know, you're going to make sure that you get that work done. You're going to get that stoplight put on the corner or whatever it is. Um, but, you know, like you mentioned, um, 
if you and I had a problem, we could talk to each other if we're healthy, but people who are unhealthy or emotionally immature, if I have a problem with you, I'm not going to talk to you about it. I'm going to go talk to somebody else about you. <laughs> huh. Triangulating. Triangulating. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and of course, uh, you're never going to come out on the good end of that equation, are you? Right. Um, in, in fact, uh, I just want to get a reaction out of you on this. Uh, I, I would explain to people, uh, if I were to say, Hey, there's something that's bothering me and this is what it is. And notice my tone of voice. It's pretty plain, flat, bland, and just straightforward. That's anger. And sometimes people will say, well, that doesn't sound like anger. And my response is, well, that's because, um, unhealthy people have taken that emotion and given it such a rotten reputation mm. that when someone comes along and says, well, what I'd like to do is I'd like to uh, do it in a proper kind of way. I can go ahead and stand up for who I am. And in the meantime, I don't have to treat you like an ingrate in the process. And a lot of individuals don't think of anger and respect as ever being on the same side of the page when in fact, actually it can be, I mean, talk to me about your thoughts on that. Yeah. You know, there's, there's such a thing as, as righteous anger, you know, when you look at injustice, um, you, you have to be righteously angry about that in order to, to create some momentum to, to create change. Right. You know, but again, you have to, you have to own it. You have to admit it instead of denying it, pretending that I'm not angry. Um, but but I think a lot of us grew up in families where it wasn't okay to be angry. Um, you know, maybe you had emotionally immature parents and maybe they did too, but you know, there's only a limited range of emotions that are acceptable. And you don't you don't get to be angry, you know. So I think a lot of us learn different ways to to suppress it or repress it or put it in a box, pretend that we don't have it, you know. So here you are as an adult trying to engage with another adult. And uh, if uh, one or both of you have not really come to terms with your own origins and uh, early influences, you're right. carrying all of that unfinished business on the inside. And, uh, and, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. But as a therapist, I often found that it's difficult to work with couples in particular about having healthy anger management if you're just teaching them techniques you know what i mean mm -hmm. as opposed to teaching them to to tap into healthy insight uh and then out of those healthy insights come uh better behaviors i mean would you have some of the of a similar kind of thought and and uh, uh you know inclination in the same direction at, in your therapy office yeah, I think it's it's. I mean, te techniques, communication techniques are are great, but they're they're really not enough. And um, I think helping people learn not to avoid having ruptures because every relationship has ruptures, but it's how you repair the rupture that matters. You know, so I will help people learn how to process. You know, the that the anger and the other feelings without relitigating the argument. And get beneath the surface to why yeah. was I so triggered, and and that way you actually teach each other about your family history sometimes, you know, and you 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 get to the point where each person can actually own their part of it. That's great, big, huge. Um, and then what can I do so this won't happen again? What can we do so this doesn't happen again? And um, you know, getting more to that us consciousness as opposed to the you versus me and and sometimes with couples both uh 
participants can uh, can do that. Uh, more often than not, you'll have maybe one that's, that says, "I'm sign me up," and the other says, "Yeah, sign that person up." <laughs> they want to put it on the other uh, individual. I, 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 I want to ask a couple of questions about some of that beneath the surface thing. Uh, we, we've mentioned shame, but another, uh, you mentioned that anger is a secondary emotion. Um, anger is also uh, secondary to a person's fears. And um, when you have somebody that just cannot come to terms with their anger, they're constantly blame shifting and accusing, but uh, they don't really uh, tap into what's going on inside of them. What fears do, would you say is driving that outward anger? I think it it could be it could be fears of being of being judged of being seen you know as as imperfect or um, you, you know being uh, misunderstood you know especially somebody that that grew up where you never your voice was never heard you never got to be an individual you weren't given nurturing experiences and permissions to be you. Um, you know, it can be it can be implicit fear you're not even aware of as fear that this is happening to me again. You know, that's the part where we're so disconnected from our own feelings that we don't even realize that I'm I'm projecting my fear onto this other person, but we don't realize that was then. This is now kind of a thing. Yeah, it doesn't belong here, but uh, I'm bringing it into our now equation. Yeah. yeah, that fear of rejection and all the rest. So, okay, so let's suppose you're trying to be as healthy as you know how, and that narcissist is projecting all of this shame and fear onto you. I guess the question uh, is, well, then how do I not get triggered with my own issues of shame and fear, uh, especially when it just kind of uh, uh, sneaks up on you pretty quickly? You don't have a, a lot of advance notice. How can we prepare our hearts and our minds so that we don't get triggered with our own internal issues of fear and shame? That's that's a great question. And it's particularly difficult when um, you are being kind of gaslit and undermined and uh, you're, you're starting to doubt yourself, you know, and I think we have to do our own work, you know, and learn how to trust our own reality. You know, but that's hard when somebody is trying to undermine that the whole time. Um, I think it's learning how to have compassion for yourself so you can actually look at your own flaws, your own issues, your own fears, um, and and try to heal those from within. Um, you, we need to work on not being triggered, but, you know, our narcissist knows exactly where your all your hot buttons are. And, you know, you can try to move them, but then they're going to push even harder and faster to find out where you moved them to. Yeah. You know, you know not that I try to make um, conflict resolution and responses, uh, just an academic thing. Uh, now, having said that, one of the things I try to do is I, I would work with patients and say, I, I want you to tell me what kind of characteristics that you'd like to be most predominant uh, within your life. And, and I'd get them to list some out and every, everybody says kind of the same stuff. Well, I want to be more patient or understanding and, and all and it's like, okay, let's come up with a list of about 20 and okay, let's keep going respectful or, uh, you know, calm or steady or fair-minded and uh, on and on we go uh, self-restraint. And then I wonder then if, if you can um, rehearse in advance the circumstances in which you're least inclined to be that person. 
And, and sometimes you just go through those kinds of uh, scenarios in advance so that you've got a bit of a mental rehearsal that you can draw upon. I mean, is that something uh, akin to what you might sometimes do in your therapy office? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, um, if you, if you, uh, you know, if you, if you want to be less judgmental, you got to work on that. You got to first notice when you are judgmental. So you got to, you've got to bring in an element of, of mindfulness you know, where you can actually be be present, you know, without getting caught up into thoughts and emotions. Um, but it's it's work, you know, it's it's practice. And if we if we, you know, want to transform the types of person we are, you know, it, it's sort of like um it's sort of like the the old fable of the the two wolves, right? Like there's two wolves fighting inside of me, a black one and a white one, and I don't know which one's going to win. You know, and and the answer is the one that you feed. You know, so if if yeah. you feed kindness and compassion and generosity, then that is what's going to grow in you. But if you feed defensiveness and 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 anger and hatred, and then that's what's going to grow. And I, that's where you can see the the dynamic that happens between an empath and a narcissist. Oh. Now, that, that word mindfulness, sometimes I think it's used so often that we lose sight of what it's all about, but it's an extremely rich word. Mm -hmm. um, and what it tells me, and, 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 I love, and, and I've seen some of your uh, material online, and that, obviously that's someplace you go. Uh, first, it tells me that you slow down, you calm down, um, you remind yourself who I want to be. And so we can't get caught up in the rush uh, that that argumentative, harsh, controlling person is wanting to pull us into. That's easier said than done, though, isn't it? It is. It's it's really, really difficult. And, um, you know, we talk a, a lot about setting boundaries and limits for people, but narcissists don't respect your boundaries. You can you can set them. You know, and it gets it becomes sort of an art in setting a boundary or a limit with a narcissist. You can't you can't say I don't like it when you do that. Please stop, because they'll do that more. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's more like like you know saying something to them like, uh, you know, you're entitled to your distorted view of me, and I'm okay with that. So you're not calling them out, but you're just labeling you know what the the behaviors. But yeah, trying to not be triggered and and trying to not let that um, part of you you don't want to be come out when somebody is purposefully trying to bring that out in you. That's that's hard. Um, one of the things that, uh, that I explain is when I establish boundaries, I, I'm not going to say that it has nothing to do with that other person because obviously there they are. But you see, boundaries are not for you. They're for me. Mm -hmm. and, and what I mean is I'm just going to go ahead and define myself and I'm going to live inside the parameters that I know is part of my healthiness. If you'd like to join me, that would be really nice. And if you don't join me, I'm still going to be who I am. And that's what I mean. Uh, and so when we ask the question, what, what does the narcissist want from you? They want you to be triggered, just like you said. But what if I decide, well, that's your game. It's not my game. I tell you that, that, and that's that internal strength you were mentioning a few minutes ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think at some point you eventually have to make a decision. Um, can I stay in a relationship with this person and be who I need to be? Or do I need to end the relationship? Do I need to go no contact or limit my contact and 
yeah. that becomes a very complicated set of decisions that are then e even trigger different, more difficult emotions, loneliness yeah. and separation. And and uh, one size fits uh, doesn't fit all, does it? I mean, everybody's uh, situation is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. You know, um, one of the things that uh, uh, that I uh, have heard people compl uh, complain about, they may say something like, "Okay, I, I had this manipulator in front of me, and, and Doctor C, I did everything that I could to uh, to be that calm and steady person, and it didn't work." And what they mean is I, I couldn't force that other person to be any different. Right. <laughs> and and so what we're saying here is, well, the fact it, it does work with or without that person's cooperation. Wouldn't it be nice if they would? But uh, can we kind of summarize and say, well, a manipulator is just going to be a manipulator. An unaware person is going to be unaware but I get to be who I'm going to be separate and distinct. And, and that's an enormous realization that sometimes people have a hard time putting into play. I mean, intellectually, we can say that, but uh, in, in practice, that's pretty hard. Yeah, to actually feel that because you, when you're in those types of dynamics, you, you literally can't tell where you end and the other person begins, you know, right? especially if you're a highly sensitive person, you you pick up other people's energies, whether they're projecting them at you or not. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I guess our message here today is uh, know what you're dealing with and know that they have a whole lot of unfinished business and chaos that they're bringing to the equation. At the same time, know who you are. And, uh, and, and it's not just okay to be uh, separate and distinct. It's necessary. Yeah. And uh, I mean, that's if we can get more and more people thinking that way, uh, then I'm hoping that we can at least make a difference with the folks that we encounter. Right. Yeah, I think that that's, you know, ultimately, that's the, the, the biggest part of healing is is recognizing that you can be a distinct individual with all of your own needs and and uh, preferences. And you don't have to justify that, you know. Um, and let it be, let, let them be who they're going to be. You just work on, on becoming the best version of you that you can be. Our guest today is, uh, Jim Breon out of uh, Huntington beach, California, Jim, it's such a delight to hear from you. And, and you have such a, a calm presence about you. I, I can only imagine that it's a delight for individuals who work <laughs> with you. Uh, and I'm sure you're a very good healing presence for many people. Well, thank you, Les. I, I I feel the same. It's been a pleasure to talk with you and you're doing some good work. So keep it up. Thank you. And thank you for being on our broadcast here. I wish absolutely nothing but the best for you as you continue. Okay. Thanks, Les. Appreciate it. Okay. Now, the Team Healthy, for those of you uh, who are uh, listening here, uh, Jim Breon can be found at jimbreon.com, B-R-I-L-L-O-N. And I'm sure that he would love to hear from you. So uh, encourage and support him as you're able to. So thanks, Jim, so much for being a part of, of our program. Team Healthy, I'll see you next time. And I hope that uh, the rest of your week goes well. Thanks, Les. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Surviving Narcissism is the product of many years of work done by Dr. Les Carter. Dr. Carter is a best-selling author and therapist with more than 40 years of experience, specializing in anger management and narcissistic personality disorder. You can find more content from Dr. Carter on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Surviving Narcissism.
as well as on his website, survivingnarcissism.tv. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We are so glad to have you on Team Healthy.